Now, with any of our listeners out there, what are you calling the ABCs? Are you literally talking talking the fact of like projection rhythm rise? Are you talking? Yeah, uh, so, some of those things: contact length, segmental positions, postures, uh, movement expression. <clears throat> so we we know when people accelerate, whether it's curved linear or linear, that contact times lessen as you get faster, and airtime increases, and attack angles change according to acceleration and stride length and stride frequency generally grow together <clears throat> now the context is are you accelerating over three yards 10 yards 20 yards and that, that changes the equation a little bit but still those heuristics or first principles have to be addressed i mean those are foundational tenets of, of movement or gait Oh, a hundred percent. And when you're working with these team, <clears throat> when you work with the different team sport athletes, you talked, you know, before about basketball, how, how extensively in those ABCs do you get with those sports where the court is shorter, they, they might be having the limited expression of speed. You know, a lot of basketball coaches will say they don't need to work on it. Like how, how do you go about educating them? Well, <clears throat> I always get the question, why would you change something? So if I've hit a performance ceiling or I got a performance plateau or my injury list is growing or whatnot, it might be hoove us to look into how they're running. <clears throat> I think most team sport coaches uh, talk about first step. You know, they, they got a great first step. Mm. Well, to me, that's starting. That's overcoming stationary inert, or inertia and, and creating a solid excursion angle on that first step. So how are they doing that? That might be a starting spot. You know, what do their first two steps look like? Or in a change in direction, how are people reaccelerating after the apex of the change? So these principles are still gonna be there. If you got a wide receiver and he's doing a post pattern, when he cuts 45 degrees, he's somewhat having to reaccelerate out of that cut. So what's mm -hmm. going on uh, kinematically and kinetically, you know, during those steps? <clears throat> within that context do you think that sticking with that like football player ex example do you think that there are are coaches trying to speed it up and get their athletes to be able to do things that they shouldn't be doing because in high school their athletes are doing speed work and, and routes and things that they should not have been doing or is, is the whole process just completely being bastardized and too rushed I think that's a, a very complex and layered question, probably. So is there a training bias? Yes. So people can overcook certain ideas, certain principles or whatnot, and that can create chaos later down the road. Um, you know, you might be able to get away with X, Y, and Z. In high school, you go to university, everybody's fast. So you, maybe you have to upgrade those skills. You go to the NFL, it's an even more select uh population that you're dealing with. So I, I, I think people get too caught up on the biomechanical model. I, I think there are certain movements and positions and whatnot that good movers exhibit and poor movers don't exhibit. Now there's some bandwidth depending on environment, stage of uh, development, so on and so forth. But you're not going to see anybody running really fast with zero knee lift. You're not going to see anybody running really fast with huge backside lag and mechanics behind them. <clears throat> You're not going to see anybody running fast with their elbows straight or their elbows like they're a marathon jogger. 
people do certain things if they're moving fast and moving well that <clears throat> kind of have a bandwidth to them. And, and I'm not, I'm not going to buy into the troop. Well, just let them figure it out because I'm working with age, age group kids all the time and that let them figure it out. Shit isn't working. Um, talking about that, one of the things that came into my head is a former colleague of mine who was a track athlete, now works with basketball and track. We'll talk about the notion that doing actual speed mechanic work with team sport athletes is not the juice is not worth the squeeze because they don't get exposed to it long enough to actually make changes over time do you agree with that and or disagree and if so why taking a quick break from the show everybody promises will take less than 15 seconds friendly reminder go ahead hit that subscribe button below it helps us out and it helps you out by being notified whenever we have new content come out so Hit that subscribe button. And with this, let's get back to the show. Well, I, I would disagree. I think people can make changes. Now, do you microdoses and the warm-ups or microdoses into the early session? Do you allow for it in, in the practice session or whatnot? So like in the NFL, we have a lot of our guys do three or four hard excels at the end of their warm-up before they go to individuals. So they microdose acceleration. Uh, Wednesday on the first heavy day of practice on, early in the session, a few of the plays, they run it out a little bit longer than normal so they can touch speed. So I think folks in that camp are probably disregarding the power of microdosing. I a hundred percent agree with you, especially if, uh, if you're looking at like, let's say a college athlete where, you know, you should have them for at least three years, um, unless it's a basketball player and they leave after one, but most team sport athletes, you have three to five years to work it. And like you said, every exposure in your warmup is an opportunity to coach it and have them do those drills and continue to um, ingrain and refine the process. So it's nice to, yeah. Well, I, I think also that <clears throat> I think people undervalue the ergonomic analysis. So is this kid stuck in an output syndrome? Like, first step, they just aren't getting any better, or third step, they're not getting there any faster, or the chronic injury list is growing. You know, we got to look at that. And if running might be a variable in that process, then why not teach it? As you said that, that made me think about one of the videos that I've watched from you before, where you talked about somebody with chronic um, Achilles pain resulting from the contralateral shoulder. How long did that take for you to start to figure out and diagnose and be able to see in either real time or slow time? And then what was kind of that aha moment for you to be able to give to the coaches that are listening to this? Well, we were working uh, with the Toronto Maple Leafs in, in ice hockey and uh, Dr. Anthony Mash, a sport radiologist, was one of the guys in our network. And they battle sports hernia and adductor issues and all of that, you know, really extreme in ice hockey. So he was looking at MRIs, you know, in that area, like a good radiologist to do. But he was also, you know, these guys were having, contra, you know, neck injuries, shoulder injuries. And he started to see a pattern there. The opposite shoulder was really uh, damaged or dysfunctional to the contralateral side where the leg injuries were occurring. So that started us looking into that theme of what else, where else. So I think that's a problem we got in sports medicine, a return to play, we get myopic and we're treating the shit out of the area of complaint or injury. And we're not looking upstream or downstream or contralateral. 
And I remember you saying that where it was like, if you find a therapist that is not only, like you, uh, I think it was, if the therapist is only treating the area that is bothering you, not the area up and downstream, you need to go find a new therapist, not right away, like leave the session, right? It, that yeah, is what... or, or, or maybe ask the therapist to upskill his education. Yeah. And for me, hearing that, um, that going back to, you know, Chinese medicine, um, what like, again, just why that shoulder as opposed to the hip? Um, like, it, and do you find it more the shoulder or the hip that on that contralateral side in what you found? Well, I think shoulder hip relationships are, we're seeing big trends and patterns in a lot of this dysfunction. So baseball pitchers with rotator cuff injuries or collateral, ulnar collateral elbow injuries, we always see stuff going on in the left hip if they're right-handed. And left spine, you know, sacral ilium movement. I think the future is going to be in this fascial work that's being done by the Steckos in Italy, uh, Schlepp in all Germany, Voyer in Paris, and some of the Thomas Myers things about, we don't really know these fascial trains and how they're affecting movement. And, and that's another complaint I have in, in PT or return to play. We're treating muscles and bones and ligaments and tendons pretty well but we're totally ignorant on what to do with fascia and, and the hydraulics and the fluid dynamics of, of, of the body. 